Yeah, so Father, we do, we pray this morning, God, that your spirit would fall afresh on us. That is our prayer here today, God. Lord, I pray that you'll open my spiritual eyes and my spiritual ears. Lord, would you take a moment right now, dear friend, and just pray. God, I need to hear from you today. I want my affections for Jesus to be stirred. God, I pray that your word will find fertile soil in my heart. It'll take root. So God, I pray that you just stir the very deep issues in my heart, Lord, to the surface and draw me closer to you. Bring me to the reality of your spirit and your word and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Let's read our text, start off with this morning. So uh, I'm on the computer, I don't have the clicker. There we go. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister was out clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? So, Sean, I still don't have my clicker here, brother. There it goes. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, oh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless. So right here in the center, I want you to look at these the green words right here. This is kind of what, I mean, true gospel, what salvation is really about is this. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. So for the last 500 years, our church has been built on those five statements right there. Now here's the interesting thing is, is that all of us can tend to kind of drift away from that if we're not careful. We can drift one way or another. We can drift towards intellectual ascent. You know, that's where like, I'm just, where like, like, I believe that there is a God, or I believe in Jesus, and, or I believe that, you know, I am a Christian, and it just stays right there. There's no life transformation. That's just, that's believing without anything really happening in our hearts. And then also there is the emotional response, you know, where maybe where I was somewhere, and man, there was a of, of this, this evangelist that came in, and he had this, this great story about how he was delivered from drugs, and it made me cry and got me all emotional and everything, and stirred up, and in that, you know, I, they said, who wants to get saved? You know, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell, raise your hand, and I raised my hand, they said, now repeat after me, and I said the prayer, and I signed the card, but there was nothing happening inside my heart. It was just an emotional response, and then within a few days, I go back to being the same way I was before, no life transformation. So that's an emotional response. And then all the way on the other side, we could drift this way also towards works righteousness, where I think that in order for me to be pleasing to God, that I've got to do some good works. There's got to be works. And if I do these works, then God will be happy. And if God is happy with me, then he will bless me and I will live a blessed life. Both of those are errors. Any way we go in that. So see, look at this. Saved by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. That sums it up. So let me ask you this morning, are you resting right there when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to your relationship with God, is that where you are this morning? So... When we kind of veer off away from the true gospel, we kind of move into superstition sometimes. We get kind of superstitious, you know. And it's interesting because I looked up the, the synonyms for superstitious, and here they are. 
Magic, sorcery, witchcraft, and delusion. That kind of surprised me, to be honest with you, that that's, those are synonyms of superstition. Sorcery, and here's the interesting thing, is that for all of us this morning, magic, sorcery, witchcraft, and delusion is much larger part of our culture than we even realize. So, Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. We'll get to the sermon in just a minute. God was performing extraordinary. So these are unusual, extraordinary miracles by Paul's hand. So that even face cloths and aprons, so that's his sweat rag right there. He'd wipe his sweat off when he's working. Even his sweat rags and aprons he's working with that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the disease has left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Sometimes those working in conjunction. So, I mean, like people were getting delivered just by Paul's sweat rag. So, I mean, Luke's writing this, and he says, These, this is extraordinary stuff right here that's happening. Okay? So, many who became believers... This is in Ephesus. They confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. Now, see, we look at that and we go, wait a second. These people were, they were practicing witchcraft. They had books, and they were using these books to cast spells on other people. Now, okay, yeah, see, here's, here's where we are. We think, okay, that's... 2,000 years ago, and that doesn't really have anything to do with the world that I live in today. So right now, America spend 2.2 billion annually on mystical services. Okay, wait a second. I don't know if you got that. Billion. That means we got a population of about around 30, 328 million people in America. That's $2.2 billion that are spent on mystical services, witchcraft kind of stuff. So if you still are thinking, ah, don't really think that's really happening, check this out. This is 2017. This is an article, Why Millennials Are Ditching Religion for Witchcraft and Astrology. Here's what the article said. Melissa Jane, owner of a Brooklyn-based metaphysical boutique, said she has seen a major uptick in interest in the occult in the past five years, especially among New Yorkers in their 20s. The store offers workshops like Witchcraft 101, Astrology 101, the spirit seance, whether it be spell casting, tarot, astrology, meditation, she go, they go on and on and on. And here's what she ultimately says. This is bringing transformation to their lives. So that is, so, so I'm gonna, now, now once again, we look at that and you, you can look at that and go, well, hey, David, you know, that's way up there in New York. We're out here in East Texas. So let me, let me just tell you something. So being a pastor for over 20 years, I have been exposed to things that most people have not been exposed to. And I just want to tell, I just want to tell you all the truth. I want to be honest with you. I've, I don't even like talking about the things that I've seen. Because when I start talking about it, it sounds like I'm making, like I'm in, indulging the story to make it more sensational than it really is. And I, I try to err on the side of not making it so sensational. So I have seen things that most people have not seen when it comes to this kind of stuff. But, but here's what I can tell you. So a member of our church from Melissa and I, one of the, the past churches that we pastored, came to us. And before she had become a Christian, she wanted a man to fall in love with her. So she went to a top of a metaphysical boutique. And she went to the woman. And she told the woman at the counter, she said, I want a man to fall in love with me. So she went took her... She bought this like a little incense thing, and she told her the chant to say, to get the incense, burn it, to breathe in the incense and say the chant, and the guy would fall in love with her. It worked. He fell in love with her. They got into a serious relationship. And here's her words, and it ended very, very badly. Just like it always does when you mess with stuff that is satanic. Now listen, I'm, I'm telling you all this for a reason because this is going to tie right back into our text here in just a moment because here's our problem in our culture we live in. We have drifted. The stuff, see, some of you are watching stuff on the news and you're thinking, 
How on earth did we get to the point to where we live in a culture that can get away with that kind of nonsense and somebody doesn't get arrested? I'm telling you, it is because we have drifted. So, listen, our children, Disney puts out little fun shows for them to watch about little witches, cartoons for our little, so now you think of that, you go, what? You mean my little kid's going to turn into a witch if they watch that? No, no, here's what I'm saying. It desensitizes us. It makes us think that it's make-believe and that it's fun and that it's just fun, entertaining, but it's not for real. But see, here's what I'm telling you this morning. It's for real. It's in this county. And here's what you have to understand. This morning in our churches, in this county, you have to know this. There are witches that are sitting in our churches that were sent there by their coven, and they're sitting there doing witchcraft right now in our churches. And some of you don't want to hear that. Some of you right now are like, man, I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> My responsibility is not to fascinate you, not to entertain you. My responsibility is to be faithful to the text. And the text is about to bear out something this morning where you and I live. And see, here's the thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, ah, that stuff is no big deal, then I want to tell you this. More than likely, that stuff that you think is no big deal is wreaking havoc somewhere in your life and in your family, and you don't know it. And see, listen, the devil doesn't want you to know it when he's messing with you. He always wants to stay below the radar so you're not aware. You laugh it off and you think it's no big deal. I don't believe in that stuff. That's exactly where he wants us to be. Okay, so Galatians 5, 19 and 20 says, Now the works of the flesh, I want you to see this. So you, if you, you, that, you guys that have studied your Bible, you understand what works of the flesh means. That's stuff that we're doing in our flesh that's sinful, our sinful nature. They are obvious. Sexual immorality, yeah, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. <laughs> now, this word right here is kind of an interesting word. That word is pronounced pharmakia. Sounds like pharmacy for a reason. Now, I'm not saying all pharmacists are demon-possessed or all pharmacies are bad or anything you get from the pharmacy is bad. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Pharmakia comes from the word. See, what the witchcraft, what they would do is they would take drugs, and in this drugs, they would, they would use these to get people into an altered state of mind. And when they got people into an altered state of mind, then the demonic stronghold can get a hold of them. So they use these drugs as part of spell casting, and they still use them as spell casting. So, you know, listen, once again, I'm not trying to meddle in your business. I just want to tell you the truth. It's not a sin to drink. It is a sin to be drunk. Anything that alters your emotional, your mental capacities, you're opening the door for the devil to get a stronghold in your life. That's what the problem with it is. It's that it destroys you. It's not that God wants to keep you from having fun or feeling good. It's destroying you. Let me ask you something. In our culture today, do you see any hatred? Do you see any strife? Do you see any jealousy, outbursts of anger? Do you see any selfish ambition? Do you see any dissensions? And do you see any factions in the world you live in today? In the culture that you're in? Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. We need to awaken to this. I want to say it as nicely as I can. We need to awaken to the reality of what's going on in the spiritual world that you live in. Hard right turn. We'll come right back to where we started, okay? Here we go. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith? Now this is someone who says, yeah, I said that prayer in church. I walked the aisle, I signed the card, I got baptized, I'm a member of the church. What good is it if someone just says that they've done all those ritualistic things? Nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but this is what they're leaning on. When it comes to my relationship with God, it's all about that prayer I said. Can I, can I tell you this? That prayer did not save you. None of you in here got, prayer, got saved by a prayer. You get saved. We'll talk about this just a moment. You got saved by grace. Someone claims to have faith, but does not have works. Can such faith save him? Okay, so let's jump from to over to Paul in Ephesians. Here's our, this is our, man, we talk about 
salvation, this is one of the verses we run back into so many times that helps us build out our theology of understanding what salvation is. Here it is. For you've been saved, and there it is. First word, you're reading this in Greek. The, the words in Greek that come first are always about emphasis. You're reading this in the Greek. The first word that comes is grace right here, karyos. For you are saved by grace through faith. The grace of God. It takes the, it takes the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to save you. If that regenerating work doesn't happen, there's no conversion. It doesn't matter how many prayers you say. It doesn't matter how many times you get baptized. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. If the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit wasn't there, then it's very simple. You are not saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works. Wait a second. Didn't just James just say if you don't have works and that faith can't save you? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do y'all see that, church? For good works, God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So, I mean, as we look at this, here's what I got. If I'm going to get the point of conversion right here, then Paul's talking about, he's addressing the pre-conversion that works cannot bring about salvation. See, he's talking to a group of people that think, okay, so if I do these right works, then that's going to save me. Paul's saying, no, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No. So then on the other side of conversion, James, he's talking to Jewish believers that have been scattered abroad. If you've been going through the book of James with us, these are Jewish believers that are out there. And now, listen, they have been saved by grace, and they're like, oh, I got saved. I don't have to do anything now. He's fighting against people that are like, hey, man, you know, like in our culture, I said the prayer, I'm going to heaven. I want to tell you something that hurts me is when I hear somebody say, oh, well, you know, I don't care, man, just as long as... As long as I get into heaven, I'll get on the backside of heaven in the shack. If I'm in the backside of heaven in the shack, just as long as I'm there. Uh, that's called you're trying to buy fire insurance to stay out of hell. And there's something very wrong with that attitude. After conversion, post-conversion, he's, James is talking about, look at this, church. Works accompany salvation, not accomplish. It's going to be the natural occurrence it's going to happen because I am saved. The works are going to naturally come out of me. Okay, so what are the works? Well, okay, Galatians 5, 23, 24 are going to help me with that, 24, 25. Love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That stuff's going to naturally be growing and manifesting through my life because when you get saved, as we use that language, what happens is you are born again. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and that brings life transformation. You cannot remain the same. So while Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed, Greek word pasteo right here, many people believed in his name. That's, hey, listen, that's what I heard in church my whole life. I believe in his name. That, that's true. But look at this. What were they believing in? When they saw the signs that he was doing. Listen. Anytime we get too fascinated with what a man is doing, because Jesus is no man, he's God, but let me just... Any man is doing, especially any preacher or any church is doing, and we get all excited about that, and we're not excited about what God is doing in and through our lives and in and through our family, we are in a dangerous place. Jesus, however, would not entrust. Look at this. We've got two different English words because when you talk about faith, pistis is the, is the, the, the stem word right for pisteo. We've got three words right here. We've got faith. We've got trust and we've got belief. That's how we translate those in English. But look at this. Look at this. If you're reading this in Greek, you would see that he would say, however, he would not pasteo himself to them since he knew them. He knew what was in their hearts, that they were not really transformed. They're just excited about the miracles and they're not looking for what God is doing in and through their lives. There's not the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit inside of them. 
So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide, remain, stay connected in my word. You are truly my disciples. There's going to be a desire. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you have, and you never have since you've been saved, you've never had a desire to read God's word, to be obedient to God's word. If you've never cared about any of that, if you thought, man, me being saved just means I show up to church every once in a while. Chances are you didn't get the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. If a brother or a sister is without clothes and he lacks daily food, and one of you say to them, says to them, God, go in peace, stay warm and well-fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So it's kind of like a tree. Both of these are trees. It's a dead tree, and this is a living tree. So what James is saying is that you can have, if you say you got faith, but it's not living, it's useless. This tree over here is useless. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can say, yeah, that's a tree, but there's not going to be any fruit coming from it. There's not going to be leaves, no shade. I mean, nothing, that's not going to do any. It's not going to fulfill its function that God created it for. The same is true for us. If I say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, my grandfather was a deacon of the First Baptist Church, and I believe, and I got, I listen, I went down there to the church, I said the prayer, walked out, got baptized, I don't have anything for God, anything for, for reading the Word of God, for praying, I just got him like a lucky charm, Jesus is like my rabbit's foot. Do you know where, do you know where that rabbit foot came from, that thing came from? So the, it comes from the Celtics many, many years ago. They would see the rabbits running into holes, and they believed their little g-gods lived underground, so they believed that the rabbits communicated with the gods, and so they thought that since they were communicating with the gods, that they took that rabbit foot and put it on their person, that that would bring them good luck. Superstitious. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been superstitious in your Christianity? I guess me and you are the only ones. Either that or everybody else good card players in here. Man, I tell you what, man, you guys could be some great poker players, by the way. I mean, it's like no Brit, nobody breathes. I ask a question, everybody's like, don't move. Don't blink. He'll see. He'll know. I have, you know. I mean, when, I, when, I, when I was a young Christian, I believed that if I went to Sunday school on Sunday morning, that I would be a good basketball and football player. That's superstitious. That's trying to use Jesus as a rabbit's foot. So are you you're thinking this morning if you come to church, all of a sudden your marriage is going to miraculously get better? You think that all of a sudden you're going to go home and check, check your bank account and that's going to go all the way into the plus way out there? You think that all of a sudden you're going to get that promotion, that job, you're going to make the good grades, you're going to become the great athlete, whatever it is, because you showed up in church? I'm going to bust your bubble right now and I'm going to tell you that more than likely, just the opposite probably will happen. The closer you get to God, the more the devil is going to come after you. To try to get you discouraged where you don't do that. Because if you listen, if you just, if you want to serve God, I mean, really want to serve God, you really get your heart right, man. That gospel we showed a while ago, you want to start living that. Then you're going to be a testimony. You're going to start spreading that gospel. You won't be able to keep it. You'll become an evangelist by nature, not even trying, just by your, the way you live. It's, I mean, I, I wish I would have paid closer attention, but I was listening to a preacher this past week, and he was talking about this missionary that went out to the mission field. And when he got there, he found a native there, and he walked up to the native. And, and in his culture, in his, in his language, he said, have you ever heard the gospel and the best answer ever? He said, no, but I've seen it. But someone will say, oh, you have faith and I have works. Well, then you show me your faith without works. And I will show you faith by my works. So what James is saying here is he's saying, he's saying that, that faith is kind of like calories. You can't see them, but you can see the effect. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean, you may not be able to see the faith, but you're going to see the effect, the transforming effect it has on you. 
Here's what Jesus said. He's talking to the religious leaders. Man, he's tearing them up because they think just because they're born children of Abraham, they're going to be in heaven. Here's what he says. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, now we're safe. For we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. So listen, you can't stand before God this morning and go, I'm a member of the Bridge Fellowship. Therefore, listen, Jesus would say that right there, that that means nothing. Do you got that? That means nothing as far as your eternal salvation is concerned. What matters is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's bringing about the works, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you growing in those? Are you declining in those? Are you drifting away from those? Ah, oh, listen, if you are, I'll tell you something. You better do some hard searching in your heart this morning, dear friend. Titus, Paul writing to Titus, he says, look at this, this is so good. If you all got little children, whether, you know what's one of the wonderful things about little children is that they're innocence. You know, and until the, the, the nastiness of this world corrupts them, little children are so pure in the way they think. Check this out. Here's what, here's what Paul says. To the pure, everything is pure. Well, that's true, isn't it? But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So here's the problem with someone that says they're in Christ, and they go out and they say, oh, I'll just go do all the sins I want to do because God will forgive me. God knows how I am. Look at what Paul says right here. If you're going to do that, if my works are showing that, then I'm detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. James goes on. He says, you believe that God is one good. And for us today, that's really not that big of a deal. So the thing about the Jewish, so he's writing to Jewish Christians, okay? And the thing about them that they were very proud of is that they were monotheistic. That means they believed in one God. Now, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Three different manifestations of one God. They believed they were mono, where all everybody else had a plethora of gods. Okay? He said, So you, so this comes from what, what the Jews they called the Shema prayer. They'd pray this every day. This is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There it is, monotheism. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Does that sound familiar to you guys that were here last week? So he says, you believe that God is one good. Even the demons, pisteo, even they believe, and they have an emotional response, and they shudder. So, I mean, here's what you have to realize. The demons have better theology than we do. It's not that they don't have good theology. They know who God is. They know there is one God. They know all about Jesus. I mean, it's like they've got great theology, but man, they are wicked through and through. So, so we got to get the point this morning. Hey, listen, why? We come back to this every week. Why do I want to grow in my theology? Why do I want to learn more about the Bible? If it's not motivated by my love relationship with God, any other direction I come from that is trouble. It's got to be motivated because I love Jesus. That's why I want to know more. September the 28th, I'm going to start teaching systematic theology on Monday nights here. It's got to be motivated by love, though, right? Say yay on that one, too. Amen on that. Huh? So, I mean, that's it. So I don't want people growing in theology just to grow in theology, I want us to be growing in theology so we'll be growing in our love relationship with Jesus. Does that sound good to you? That's what our whole goal is here. Look at this. Jesus, Mark 1, 34. Some of y'all who were here a long time ago, y'all remember me preaching through the gospel of Mark? Remember this? Jesus was healing many who were sick of the various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak. Because they knew him. 
There's another one it's right here. This is, this is the, um, the uh, demon-possessed um, demon guy there. Oh. Here, I'm going to skip down here. So the demon-possessed guy he comes out of the gardens right here. Suddenly the demons are manifesting. They're speaking through these men. What do you have to do with us, son of God, speaking to Jesus? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So they know what's going to happen. So it's not that they're, they're not ignorant of theology. They're not ignorant of knowing at the very end that, listen, God's going to take them all, wrap them up, throw, throw the devil and all his demons in a bottomless pit. They know that's coming. And they, James says, and they shudder. And we read that and we're like, oh, when are we eating lunch? Man, he sure is preaching a long time. There's nothing, when there's not anything stirred in us, when we see these deep truths in God's word, then listen, it's, it's a very good sign that I'm disconnected from the most important thing that I should be connected to. And that's the Holy Spirit working in and through my life. Senseless person. Man, James, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You're not going to come back to church. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? He was not seeker sensitive, was he? Acts 8, 5 through 8. So Philip is a deacon, by the way. He's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's just a regular dude that serves in the church. Okay, y'all ready for this? Here we go. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs that he was performing. And here's the signs he's performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon, this is, we know him as Simon the sorcerer, had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. Church historians from back in the first century, they said that in Rome, they had made, even made a statue of Simon the sorcerer, and it said, Simon, the great God, on it. So here's what you have to understand. Simon was a celebrity of celebrities. He, everybody knew Simon. Everybody loved Simon. Simon entertained them, and Simon helped them. Let me, let me just say this, okay? We have a problem in our culture and it's called celebrity pastors. Anytime that we start worshiping a man instead of Jesus, and we start elevating a man instead of Jesus, we are headed for trouble. Okay? So here's the thing. With everybody telling Simon that he was a god, guess what he had? He had an elevated view of himself. And that's a dangerous thing, too. Because here's the thing. When we've got an elevated view of ourselves then we don't have an elevated view of God. <clears throat> they, were, they were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. So no doubt Simon loved the attention. All about Simon. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the euangelion, that's the good news, the gospel is a Greek word right there, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Oh, happy day. It's going good right here, isn't it, church? Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Here's what you have to understand. The devil wants to join the church. Man, listen, the, the, the more clear we understand that, the better. It isn't that the devil wants to stay away from church. He's already got all that. First John says a whole world is in his grip. He wants 
in God's territory. He wants in the church. He wants to join the church, and he wants to cause division in the church. He wants to cause problems in the church. He wants to get you mad at other people where you will leave the church and not ever come back again. He wants you to be isolated away from the fellowship of the believers. When the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, so, you know, these are Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. So they just got news that the Samaritans are getting saved. So they weren't like, oh, that's great. No, they were like, when they, they heard that they had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They got the two bigwigs and said, let's send Peter and John down there to go make sure that things aren't getting out of control down there, all right? That they know what they're doing. Because this is just... You know, we just got a deacon down there. He may not know what he's doing. After they went down there, they prayed for the Samaritans that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because they had not yet come down on any of them. Because he had not yet come down on any of them. So let me just read this next part right here. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just tell you something right now. There, I read volumes and volumes of Bible scholars over these verses right here, and here's what i got to tell you, okay? You ready for this? Nobody knows what just happened right there, okay? Because Luke, as he's writing this, is not real explicit about exactly what happened theologically here. The book of Acts is a transitional book. It's hard to build theology from the book of Acts, okay? Anytime that you isolate a verse out of the book of Acts and build a theology on that, it's usually not going to hold up with all the other verses in the Bible and, and go with a good systematic theology there. That being said, here's what is true, though, that all the Bible scholars agree on. For some reason, God waited until these two apostles came from the church at Jerusalem and they could see it with their own eyes. See, because, listen, you come to me today and you said, man, listen, Bigfoot just walked through my yard last night. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, that's great. I don't believe you. <laughs> they could come to me and they could, they could be, show me video in my, my neighborhood of Bigfoot walking around in my neighborhood. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it until Bigfoot comes knocking on my door and I open the door and he says, boo, here I am. I believe it then. Okay? And oh, by the way, listen, I love all the Bigfoot shows. We'll watch them and love every single one of them. They're great, but I still don't believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> so here's these guys in Jerusalem. It's kind of like they got to see it. I mean, they got to put their hands on their brothers, pray for them. And when they prayed for them, they received the Holy probably spoken tongues. When Simon... The sorcerer saw that the Spirit was given through laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, man, give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit, because it's all about Simon. Hey, listen, wherever you go the rest of your life, and you go to church, and you listen to a preacher, and all he can do is preach about himself, you might want to go find another church. Okay, when it, if you've got spiritual leaders and it's all about them, that's a dangerous, dangerous place for you to be. I would advise you to pray about moving on to somewhere else, to where you go somewhere else to where it's not all about the dude up in front, okay? Because if he's making a big deal of himself, then he's not making a big deal of Jesus. And this is his problem right here, man. He said, I want to be like y'all. Let me, let me give you some money so I can go around and put my hand on them. People are like, wow, man, listen, Simon's still got it. And these other dudes, they got this up. And look, Simon's got it too, man. Simon's still great. He's a great God. No, you're not. But Peter told him, love this answer. Man, he is not. Mm. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Y'all, you know, if you know C.H. Spurgeon, so Barnum and Bailey, so one of the Barnum and Bailey dudes, they heard about how popular C.H. Spurgeon, you know, Spurgeon was. He was, man, people were thronging in to hear the dude preach. I mean, I don't, of course, you know, everything I've read and listened to from him, amazing back in the day. So Barnum and Bailey um, Barnum heard about this, and he was an entrepreneur, and he thought, I can make some money off this. So he writes a letter to Spurgeon and says, hey, we'll build the tent, 
We'll invite the people. We'll charge the people. We'll have all these people coming to hear you preach. You will be a rich man. You know what he did? Here's how, here's how he returned. He didn't even sign it. This is all he sent back. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. That's the letter he sent back. You have no part of sharing this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, look at this. Here it is. Repent. Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. So right here, you know what Simon should be doing? He should be repenting. Look at his answer. Oh, well, pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you said may happen to me. I'm going home now. <laughs> they won't let me play with them because it's all about me. So a while ago, we read it. James said that the demons believe and tremble. Notice that it did not say the demons believe and repent. So how important is repentance to you today? I want to tell you something. When you were saved, you were saved from your sins. You got that? I know, I know that we, we look at that and we go, no, no, I was saved from hell. Hmm. You were saved from your sins, and your sins is what was going to send you to hell. Okay? So you're saved from your sins. And see, here's the thing, is that we think, okay, yeah, all right, David, yeah, I repented of my sins. I want to ask you this, are you currently repenting of your sins? It's not just a one-time act. It's something we continue on. It's something we continue to do. None of us are perfect, so listen, I've got to be continuing. There's got to be a life of repentance happening inside of us because here's the thing that happens. We all, if, we just, if you just leave it alone and you say, man, I'm just going to go do my thing and here's what's going to happen, you are going to drift. Here, look at this. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason we must pay attention to all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Hey, have you drifted? Are you doing things today that you would not do at the beginning of the year or last year or five years ago? Man, have you just kind of caved in to the people around you or to the culture around you? I mean, are you drifting away from your convictions? That's what i got to ask you today. You should be growing stronger. That's why I that. Listen, that's why true faith will stir up inside of us. A stronger conviction, a closer walk with the Lord every single day. You should be closer to the Lord now than you were last year. If you're drifting away, then know this. You're going the same way of all that culture that's driving you crazy. Just like they're drifting, you're drifting. Just like they're desensitized, you're becoming desensitized. D.A. Carson said this, people don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. So you've got to discipline yourself to do those. I remember when I was in my 20s and I was going to church, and I would hear the preacher get up and sh shout and spit and say, man, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And y'all ever heard that before? And I would sit back there and listen to him, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's good preaching. That's right. But I didn't believe it because I wasn't old enough. I didn't have enough life experience. I mean, the world, I was, the bubble I was living in looked good to me. My bubble got busted. I mean, I don't know if it's because i got enough life experience now or because our world really is in a bad place right now. Then here's, here's what I know. Hey, listen. Everything that is being divided and being angered and being hateful and being mean is not coming from God. The little G God of this world is trying to divide us, and it's working. Our own brothers and sisters are turning against one another. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. 
So recognize it for what it really is. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it, okay. I love living in the country. Because everybody in here, all the men in here at a certain age and above all know this thing, that that craziness we see going on in the city, it wouldn't happen here. It would end badly for some people if they tried the stuff out here that they do there. It would end badly. But see, here's what I want to tell you. I don't know how. But here's what I've known. We've got to learn from history. History has taught us this. All the craziness that starts in these areas, it eventually makes its way to the country. Sooner or later, one way or another. I don't know how. Hey, listen. Last year, if somebody came to me and said, there's going to be mandatory shutdowns of church next year, I'd be like, no way. That can't happen. So we got to learn from our history and learn that, listen, today I've got to be praying. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you drifting? Let's stand up for a minute. We finish this off. So I'd like to show that last verse there on the... Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Man, I love going to the beach. And, you know, I don't know if any of y'all have been, you know, you got there on the beach, you get out in the surf, you got there, and, and your family's all up on there. They're like, there's an umbrella there. Let's just pretend like your whole family, that they're up there, and they're under an umbrella. And you go out there, and you start playing, you're floating along. Well, here's the thing that, that you know, that... If you just like get a floaty or whatever and lay down that floaty and just don't pay any attention, you're going to drift away, right? I mean, everything's going to sound the same. It's going to feel the same. But then eventually you'll look up and you won't see that umbrella and you won't see that family. It'll all have changed. Well, here's what's happened to us. Many of us went out there and we got on the floating. We laid back and we just took all of God's favor and all of God's blessings for granted and we just floated along year after year and now all of a sudden we've been awakened and we look up and that umbrella is nowhere inside that familiar stuff that we've always known our whole life is no longer there and we drifted so how important is repentance is vital. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you have prayed and asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins? That you've named a particular sin and asked God to grant you repentance from that? Man, I mean, if you're standing here right now and you're like, oh, David, I can't even remember how long it's been since I've done that. Well, I'll tell you, it's not because you haven't sinned. And there's, there's that little word that gets all of us in the middle of that that's messing with you. It's called pride. So would you look at the screen? So this is, man, David got humbled. What a humbled in a major way. Here's what his prayer was. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So I was wondering if you would pray that prayer right here, right now. If you'd be willing to allow the Lord to search your heart. So right now, would you pray, God, search my heart. Show me where I've drifted away, Lord. So pray that right now. Don't just listen to me pray. You pray. Show me where I stand with you, Jesus. Am I closer today? Or am I farther away? See, some of you right now, I didn't even have to start that prayer. And man, there's that sin that you know it's there 
and it's driving you crazy. And you've confessed it a million times and it's still there. And you don't even like me talking about it right now. Right now you're getting a little uneasy and you're feeling funny. So here's what you don't understand and I want to help you with. That if you truly are in Christ Jesus, then Ephesians 2.6 says that you've been positioned with Christ in the heavenlies. Jesus turned to Peter and said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what you need to do is you need to pray over this. So God, right now, I come under your authority, and I bring, and you name that sin, under the blood of Jesus Christ. So by the power and the authority of Jesus, I bind and rebuke, and you name it. Command you to leave me right now and go to the pit and never come back again in Jesus' name and authority. Now that's no magic prayer. That's something you may have to pray over and over and over again. God, Help me to take all my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So we are real big on accountability partners. We're real big on home groups. If you're struggling like that and you're not, you don't have an accountability problem, you're not in a home group, then you're, and you're isolated, then I just want to tell you right now, man, there's half the battle right there. You're on the losing side. I mean, listen, we want you to be in a home group because we want you to be shepherd. We want, we want you to have people praying for you and caring for you and loving you and helping you. Let's pray for our nation right quick.